become fully present. I think you know what that means. And I want you to reflect on the positive aspects of what it means to be right here, right now. is pretty comfortable. Cushions, not bad. Chairs are okay. (coughs) Pretty good. Actually, this is a wonderful building, isn't it? This house. And we're so fortunate to have the use of it. neighborhood and a pretty decent city and it truly is a beautiful morning the sunlight coming in the window even the sound of the traffic there's a pleasantness to that there's a world of busy people doing the things that are important to them And they're free and able to do those things. And you, you, you've you've done what you needed to to have the freedom to be here right now doing this. There really is nothing else that you have to do. Nothing else you have to be concerned with. That is a gift, is it not? such wonderful company. The energy here is very good. To have the opportunity to sit and meditate where there is such good, wholesome, loving energy. Doesn't it all just really make you happy? If you're healthy, if you're strong, appreciate that. That is a part of the reality of this moment. Some of us may have some health problems, some aches and pains, things like that. But it could certainly be a lot worse. And it is quite good the way it is to be here now. So, using your ears, sensing your body, and noticing the goodness that 
is in your mind the happiness, the contentment, the relaxation. Let's just spend a few moments taking that all in. Whatever may be happening anywhere else, what may have happened in the past, what may happen in the future, life right now, here and now, is very good. Now holding that in your awareness, along with the awareness of the coming and going of other thoughts, along with the awareness of sounds. Bring your attention into your body. Explore your body. Be with your body. Search out and let go of any tension. If you need to adjust your posture, your position in any way, do so. Just gently restrict your attention to this exploration of your body. Whether you just observe spontaneous movements of attention or whether you intentionally direct your attention from one place to another. Seek out all the pleasure spots in your body. Maybe there's a warm feeling across the top of your shoulders and the middle of your back. The 
pleasantness of your body supported on the earth with the cushion of the chair or the meditation seat you're on. The way the Zabaton protects your legs and feet from the harshness of the floor. with which you breathe, air moving in and out of your lungs, a life-giving energy spreading throughout your body. There's much good in this body. There's much pleasure. Keep that in your awareness, along with any other bodily sensations. Along with the sounds we hear that remind us of this wonderful building that we're in and this wonderful place on this planet that we are. with the thoughts and feelings that come and go in our mind. Hold it all in awareness. Especially hold the good and the positive. It is good. And now to the breath in the body. Deliberately take a deep breath and just feel that whole process in your body. And now confine the movements of attention to those breath sensations. is good. 
good to be here sitting like this, breathing easily. And now direct your attention to the sensations of the breath of the nose. Anchor your attention while experiencing this full expansive awareness of where you are, who you are, what you are, and the pleasure and goodness in that. It truly is good to be here, sitting here and breathing. With the peace and the opportunity to explore your own mind, to work with your own mind. the first breath and think to yourself one it's a victory you went through, went through that entire breath without losing your focus and then if you do it again it's double the victory if you make it through the third breath it's only better so now see if you can count ten breaths without losing your focus
finished and reached ten breaths, carry this satisfaction with you as you continue to follow the breath without counting. And if you haven't gotten there yet, just keep going back and trying again. See how far you can go. The goal is not important. It's the process. If you're still counting, settle for five. Five is good enough. Get to five and start to follow the breath, noticing the beginning and ending and pause. The beginning of the in-breath is pretty easy. The beginning of the out-breath is a little more challenging. It's the end of the in-breath and especially the end of the out-breath. Those are the ones that are a challenge. Get it, that's great. If you don't, 
you get another chance, just moments away. Those two pauses are pretty easy and somehow they can help you to spot the end of the in-breath and the end of the out-breath as well. While you're doing this, don't let peripheral awareness slip away, especially that awareness of the goodness and the pleasure and the comfort. As a matter of fact, it's far more important to keep that awareness than to follow the points in the breath cycle. Do both at once.
your mind slips away, even for a moment, don't forget to rejoice at having that realization and bring your attention back and start to play the game again. The only thing that matters are your successes and the satisfaction you can generate from them.
If you don't already have a smile on your face, put a little smile there. always have a smile. No accident.
any thoughts or worries or emotions that intrude. Treat them with patience. Be gentle with them. They come from a part of yourself that isn't yet partaking of this peace and happiness. Just let them be in the background. to be pretty good at catching the beginning and the end of the in and out breath and the pauses. Go a little further. See how many different distinct sensations that you can identify with every in-breath and with every out-breath. But do it without losing awareness. Especially that awareness of the satisfaction with your practice. Try too hard. If you find yourself straining, ease off.
No one's keeping score but you. And remember, it's only your successes that count. It's really only the satisfaction of your successes that counts.
slowly expand your attention to include the sensations of the breath in your chest, and then your abdomen. Until you can follow the breath in your entire torso at the same time. following these breath sensations, don't forget to notice how pleasant they are, how good it feels to breathe. Check in with your mind. Is there some peacefulness and contentment?
there is, make sure you have that smile on your face. Expand your attention to include your whole body. You may even feel like you can follow the breath in your whole body. pleasure in your body? There may be a few aches and pains, but what about the rest? Allow your intention to include the sounds. Reconnect with this larger world. Feel yourself as, as a part of something much greater. belong to and it belongs to you.
When you're ready, open your eyes and reconnect with this world visually. do so, let the joy that you've cultivated during this meditation stay with you. Keep that for as long as you can. Is anybody happy? <laughs> Meditation is hard work, right? yourself to be interested and fascinated in that. Uh, it adds a another whole dimension to the fact that yeah. Well it seemed kind of interesting I was letting myself take cues from you, but um, you were presenting the cues just about the time that I was ready for them and one that I really noticed was when you said that if there were thoughts intruding then it could be considered parts of the mind that weren't quite ready to partake. So I kind of did a conscious, all y'all in the pool, it's good here. And, and, uh, and, and I, I, I guess I must be remarkably prone to suggestion because I, I got this uplift of energy just as you suggested as there was this little, um, oh, we could be doing this now. I could have had a V8 kind of feeling. That, <laughs> and and, and it, it did seem like there was this little rush of, we'll throw in with this. Mm -hmm. Great. Now, 
thought sometimes that kind of kept wanting to come back was the uh, the thing of I uh, had this maybe was growing up with it or something or reading Catcher in the Rye or something, but the phoniness of sometimes people put on, like you said, contrived mm-hmm. somewhat of of happiness, which is not the case, and you know it, you know, <clears throat> and it comes in for some reason. And so, uh, so tell me, like, uh, are, you, are you are you saying you? Felt like the happiness in this meditation was contrived. No, no, I just—it's that thought well, that, that thought comes in. in. Yeah. Yeah. No, clearly not. I, I think right. this was a, a well, and it was my intention to be yeah. content and happy for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But no, it's uh, to to a, a lot of people will have that. You'll, you know. Perhaps you've been annoyed by people who always go around Pollyanna's. Well, the one that, when you said a smile on your face, that's not usually the way to go around. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and so if you've had that feeling about people, you know, especially if you're the kind of person that had has the kind of attitude that, well, I'm a realist. <laughs> Life is a serious business. None of this pretending stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's, you know, that's part of who you are. But it is something that in order to cultivate joy, if you have that part of you, it's going to want to butt in and be a little bit critical and naysaying and things like that. Um, Be patient with it because, you know, the... um, the truth is that that these feelings are real, and not only are they real, they may have originated originated through conscious intention, but they're ultimately going to start coming from a much deeper and more powerful source than that. So, yeah. yeah. It's quite noticeable how you could. Um Noticing each of the pleasant sensations was just feeding into the joy. Like there was a state of joy that was just slowly welling up, mm-hmm. and then had a persistence or has a persistence. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be there always. Yeah. And the more you learn to do that when you meditate, the easier it is to do that in the rest of your life as well. So, nobody has, else has anything to say. I'm, I'm hoping that now you have another really useful, important thing. You have a, a useful, important idea, and you have a useful, important method to further enhance your meditation practice. Yeah. Um, since these uh, talks and meditations are going to be downloadable on the website. How would you recommend working these recordings into into somebody someone's practice? 
Well, <clears throat> each of these guided meditations has been on a, more or less on a particular topic. And so what you can do, uh, uh, especially what we could do, is maybe uh, put some kind of label on them so that when you come back to them later on, you can remember which was which. So if you feel like you need, uh, you could stand to have a refresher on one of these, then you could just go ahead and, you know, as a part of your practice that particular day, put some headphones on and listen to the recording. I had a question for you. Um, I know that this meditation was about mindfulness of being here and being present the moment. If you have a problem with that, um, do you think it's okay to maybe perhaps imagine being in a safe place if you don't feel somewhat safe in the present moment? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You, yes. Uh, imagine yourself in a in a, a place that's more conducive than you are if you need to, definitely. Or remember some other place or some time. Anything, what you're doing is you're calling for forth a particular kind of uh, emotional state and emotional response from a whole repertoire of them that you have. And so any, anyone, in, anything that you can think or do that helps to unlatch that particular box and let that come up by all means do it. What I've noticed is that in this particular meditation was that for me it was a little bit challenging in the fact that um, you said, you know, notice what's positive. Notice I was really working hard trying to notice what was positive, not just necessarily because of the physical environment, just mm -hmm. other things. And then I found that, okay, I was like going through a list and making a list and making a list in my head, and it took me so far for my breathing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I would suggest in, in the future, um, if you find yourself, if, if you have that feeling of trying hard, then whatever it is you happen to be doing, ease off on that, back off on that, let it, let it go. You want, you want this to be... You know, you want it to be relaxed. You want it to be pleasant. And when you find yourself getting intense, um, back off a little bit. And likewise, if you start, you know, it can be useful to use uh, thoughts or you can, like, as you, as you said, uh, imagine a situation that helps, that's conducive to a particular feeling. But don't let your mind get carried away with that. So. If, if it helps to notice things, and if it helps to label those things, then do that. But remember this experience, and you know, remind yourself that, okay, if I get carried away with labeling these things, I'm going to end up a long way from what I'm trying to do. And, and so... So, for example, would it be useful to say, okay, for example, I was here, say, I'm here, um, yeah. okay, I'm present. Right. Is that okay to... Yes. Say those kinds of things. And especially when you're saying those kinds of things, you know, even be more specific. Oh, my, my back feels really good. You know, or the, the air 
going over my face. It feels really nice, okay. that sort of thing. Keep, keep it as, as present and as real as you can. And if you find yourself kind of slipping into something that's a little more abstract, come back, come back to now. So if you do like happy memories or something like that? Yeah, you can, you can bring in a little kind dose of happy memory, but the happy memory isn't important. It's the feeling that it brings. So then you let go of the memory and you keep that feeling in your life. So you had trouble in the beginning, but then it started to work for you. Well, and as I was, um, you know, because I was um, wanting to be present to the positive, yeah. it wasn't there. Right. When I let go of that, and yeah. went back to the That's, you know, yes. Yeah. Um, the positive feeling. There is a, uh, it, it's, it's a, subtle thing and, and it's not always easy to describe but there's holding an intention and then there's trying to make something happen right? and I think what you're saying what it sounds like is that in the beginning there was some part of you that felt like it had to make something happen is that right? and then when you let go of that you still had the intention, and now the intention could start to to manifest. And so it, it, it's, but from your experience, you know what I mean now, right? And that's something to to try to understand more and more. You see, all of the time we're trying to make things happen, and we're trying to feel like there's a self in here that's responsible not only responsible, but also to blame if it doesn't happen. And that's all, that's actually all a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> what happens is there, there, there are intentions and allowing, allowing what you really are to move forward as it will, those intentions will find a way to be expressed. A simple analogy is you know, if you were learning a, a very simple motor skill like throwing darts, so you've got the target up there, and your intention is for it to go in the bullseye, and you throw the dart, and it goes wherever it goes. If you keep throwing one dart after another, after a while, the intention starts to be fulfilled. You know, the darts land closer and closer to the center. Does that, does that analogy make sense? You can't make it happen. You can't say, okay, this time I'm going to make it happen. And then it hits the wall. <laughs> but if you have the clear intention of what you want to happen, and then you let this natural process act on that, it starts to happen. It happens once, and 
then it doesn't happen for long, then it happens again, it starts to happen more often, more consistently. But that's also the definition of practice, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that um, when you were saying it's positive, then I kind of had this reaction, like, well, you know, whatever. And then I kind of realized it was helpful to just, for myself personally, to say, well, there's positive elements. Because there were also, like, pain and stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. And it was just helpful not to, like, have to have it be one thing or another, but just to say, well, there are definitely positive elements, and to pay attention to them. You're absolutely right. And this is really, you're not trying to lie to yourself, you're not trying to ignore something, you're not trying to push something away. What you're doing is the natural tendency is to tend to focus on the negative and to forget the positive. So what we're trying to do is bring in the positive and uh, the more successful we are at that. And the the thing is, I mean, there, there are situations where there's not too much positive compared to the negative, you know, like when you're on the torturer's rack or <laughs> But the vast majority of the time, there's actually a lot more positive that's being disregarded than there is negative that's being focused on. And it's, if you can remember that, if you just remember that and try to, to act on that by, by, by allowing the positive to come into consciousness. Yes. So do you think it will be a good idea, like for myself or me and others, but because when I was meditating, bringing the positive makes, made it like I was making a grocery list, like I had to think, what's in the fridge, you know? Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think it will be helpful to maybe make a list before I meditate and maybe just kind of have those things present while meditation? I think that might be helpful. Um, you could try it out. You know, it, it, it at least plants some seeds and gives you something to work with in your meditation. But really, the skill that you want to cultivate is of noticing what's already there. And so, making that kind of list in advance might help you. But you don't. You don't want to be. You're not dependent on the list, and and, and it's just to help. It's just to get you started. Okay. So you don't really. People do they like kind of journal sometimes the, their experiences and meditation. Some people do. You see, I'm personally not a journaler, so I hardly ever suggest it to people. But some people are, and it's enormously helpful. Uh, if you if you are at all inclined to journaling, then I would. I, I would suggest you'd probably get a great benefit from keeping a meditation journal. So, yeah, I'll just take you next, okay? Yeah. Um, this is tying in from, from the uh, question before the sit, um, the gentleman was asking about ADD, and you, you touched very briefly on the threefold training. And um, yeah. uh, it's something that, um, I, you know, I know when, when you do retreats, for example, um, precept practice is a big part of things. And um, I was, was really inspired by this emphasis on the positive during meditation to reflect on how precept practice is really, the, the precepts are based on not right and wrong in Buddhism, but on harming versus non-harming. And, um, thinking about how to carry this forward, the, the emphasis on the positive, and really, um, it was really making me think about um, uh, that precept practice 
before a formal sit and off the cushion, um, and the wisdom training, how they really ex support extending what you're teaching us here off mm -hmm. the cushion and also getting on the cushion with the right spirit. Yeah. And I wondered if you could say a little bit about that. Um, yes. The, uh, of the... <clears throat> Of the Eightfold Path, there's a part that's called right effort, and that is positioned between uh, the virtue component and it's part of the meditation component. But if you can see how that's the joining of these things together, because what right effort is, you know, it's uh, sometimes described as the fourfold right effort, in that uh, that you want to whatever is good and wholesome, you want to bring that forward into your mind. And whatever is, that is good and wholesome that is present in your mind, you want to keep it, hold on to it, and sustain it. And uh, whatever is uh, unwholesome and, and negative and, and harmful, uh, your goal is to keep that from arising and uh, whatever unwholesome, negative uh, thoughts or, or attitudes or views or, or intentions arise that, that are present in consciousness, then you want to release them and, and, and let them go. So this is kind of, this is a manifestation of that. It's, there, there are these negative tendencies, you know, and, and even a, a feeling of dissatisfaction with how you're meditation goes. That's an example of one of these n negative things which you would like not to arise and once arisen that you would like to find a way, you'd like to let go of and find a way to displace by bringing up something that's positive, which of course is you may be the, 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 the counterpart to the dissatisfaction with how you believe your meditation is going is the recognition uh, and the satisfaction you feel from recognizing the successes that you have in your meditation. And so it's an application of that. Um, the, all of the different parts of the Eightfold Path are, there's like this constant reiteration in many different forms and many different levels. You know, on macro level of your life and on the micro level of uh, a few moments of meditation, that same pattern manifests over and over again. And, and this is just one more expression of it. Practice of mindfulness, the cultivation of joy, and it's, you can trace all of these things back to the same idea. Yeah, I... The um, question about lists and thinking about how if you start making lists, it seems like it is possible to totally activate that part of the mind that's real intellectual and that doesn't have any connection with the body and it's kind of... And I guess, as I understand it, you would make a list because you want to elicit feelings in the body. And the feelings in the body are what's the most important thing to pay attention to. That's right. And I guess like when I sleep, sometimes when I fall asleep, I read, and the part of the reason I read is to like distract that part of the mind that will keep me awake. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I fall asleep faster if I also notice the feelings in the body. Yes. As it's happening, so. That's fair. And just, just to say it again, that 
using the intellectual part of the analytical part of your mind and making lists and verbalizations and things like that. They're not bad. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, it's just the opposite. Used judiciously in just the right way, they can be very helpful. But they're 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 helping something else, and and you don't want them to take over. You don't want to mistake them for for what it is you're trying to do. Yes. Um, as I understand it, one of the goals in spiritual involvement is non-dualism and non-judgment anymore. So that also means that um, negative and positive belong together, two sides of the coin. So how does it go into the concept of focusing on the positive when negative uh, parts also inform you and can be transformed and then it, it brings the balance only then back? Okay. Well, uh, if I understand what you're saying, you, you, okay, you're saying that ultimately we realize that all these dualities that we create are are illusory, and that uh, the judgment of good and bad and positive, negative things like that these are all part of this illusion that ultimately we want to transcend. Yes, and I think what you're saying is, but working with positive and negative, it, it, it sounds like that's that's inconsistent with the final goal. Well, yes it is, because you're not there yet. The time, you, you know, you, you have to get from where you are to there. Where you are right now, you definitely see things in very dualistic terms. And good and bad, wholesome, unwholesome, right and wrong, pleasant, unpleasant, these are, these are very much a part of your reality. And it won't help you at all to pretend that that's not the case or to try to behave as though you had a level of realization that that's not true. What we develop is equanimity. And once you have equanimity, pleasant is still pleasant, and unpleasant is still unpleasant. But when you have equanimity, you don't have any need to pursue the pleasant or avoid the unpleasant. You accept them equally as a part of uh, a larger reality and a larger truth, and which allows you to work with them productively. Okay. But until you have equanimity, if you try to pretend you have equanimity, you're either in denial or anesthetizing a part of yourself, or you know, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't really work. So you don't need to worry about the fact that you you start with where you are, okay, and this is the way your mind works. So you you work with that. But it helps to keep in mind what your long-term goal is, that eventually these dualities are going to dissolve, and eventually you will have equanimity and you'll no longer have the problematic reactions to pleasant and unpleasant that now drive you. Keep on finding when, uh, when the jury gets, gets going and has been there for some time, that I always reach a ceiling where I, I start to vibrate, like yeah. small vibrations going on, and there's jerks at the beginning of the in breath. Mm-hmm. And, the, and that seems to be a ceiling that I can't 
haven't been able to work through. It's been for some time now. So it seems to be come along when the joy starts to really get going. When the joy gets really strong, you have this vibration and energetic feelings, and you you start to experience a, a kind of physical jerky. jerky. Yes, I mean, yeah. the vibration is very small. If you're really watching it closely, yeah. it might see you moving, and the, the start of the in-breath is a slight jerk. It's, it's not really a ceiling. Here's a way to picture what's happening, okay? Could you repeat the question? Uh, so it might be hard to do. Okay, I think I can do it. Or, or could you restate it simply, and, uh, and I could repeat what you restated. As the joy reaches a certain point, uh, it causes the body to start to slightly vibrate, and there to be a slight jerk at the beginning of an in-breath, and it feels like it's a ceiling, or the joy is no longer increasing. And it becomes like a distraction and a ceiling to yeah. to joy deepening. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, I should explain a little bit more about this. Um, the fact that he is feeling, and, and many of you, and those of you having it, will feel a lot of uh, vibratory, energetic things, and probably experience a lot of body movements and maybe strange things like sweating and salivation and tearing and things like that that happen as joy intensifies. This this is completely normal. Happens to different degrees to different people. Um, these are not uh, these, these happen in meditation, they happen very strongly and uh, they uh, they're very powerful. But they're not really different from the reactions that we have with ordinary joy in daily life, you know? When, uh, when something happens to trigger a state of joy, does your hair stand on end, your skin tingle, you know, your skin, your, your face may flush, you feel all this energy, you can't help bouncing up and down and moving and things like that. This is a much stronger form of the same thing. The joy we experience in, in everyday life is the result of a temporary and partial unification of mind that is brought about usually by some sort of the gratification of desires. Right? In meditation, there's a far more profound unification of mind taking place. It's more profound, it's more complete, and it produces a much more exaggerated version of the same kinds of responses that are associated with ordinary joy. Um, so that's, that's basically what's happening. Now, as the mind unifies, but it's not yet fully unified, there's a lot of energy becomes available. The energy that was previously expended in different parts of the mind struggling against each other. But when the mind is not fully unified, a lot of times this energy has no useful and productive place to go. And so it manifests in all of these, these other forms. So what you can expect as, uh, you know, and we could call it meditative joy then instead of just joy, 
to to keep clear and identify that we're talking about a phenomenon that goes beyond everyday joy and that is unique to meditation and it's the result of the unification of mind that meditation is bringing about. As that occurs, you'll feel these things and they will become very, very intense. And they'll actually, uh, what, what Brian is experiencing right now is he feels like he's at a ceiling. You get to a particular place and uh, it doesn't doesn't seem to be moving past that. That's a temporary phenomenon. It's more kind of a plateau than a ceiling. Uh, and there may very well be some things that you can do in terms of how you approach your practice and how you bring this about that will help to get you past that plateau. But if I give you the larger picture of what happens, uh, in meditation, as the unification proceeds and as the joy intensifies, you will reach a point where the, the sort of physical manifestations of it, the vibrations and the energy and the body movements and things like that, they'll all disappear. All of that energy is still there, but it, it's at a level of mental excitation and it will actually bump you right out of your meditation. It'll make it really difficult to even sit still. You just have this intense, excited, joyful feeling and you feel like you're about to explode with it. And and often, you know, I've done it. It, It's like, I can't sit here any longer. I've got to go. You have this smile on your face and you've just got to go out and talk to somebody or, or spread it around. And there's actually a stage in the process where this keeps happening. You sit down and meditate, the joy comes up, becomes powerful, and then you just can't go any further. Now, the way it evolves is you get better and better at not reacting to that. In a way, it's like you get used to it. And the more used to it you get, you eventually reach a point where it really does peak. It really does. It reaches a peak. And... If you haven't succumbed to it by the time it reaches the peak, then it goes over to the other side. It begins to subside. And there's this exquisite tranquility. The energy instead produces this wonderful tranquility. And this is the point at which equanimity begins to develop. So in the overall process, you will repeatedly reach points where the the physical manifestations disturb you, and by continuing anyway and disregarding them, um, you, you'll reach higher and higher peaks, and there will be more disturbing manifestations that you once again have to get used to and ignore, and, and, and then it will cease to be physical and it will be purely mental, and the whole process will increase. You reach these peaks that keep disrupting you. But eventually you reach, you reach the point where you can get over the hump and you can get into the tranquility and equanimity. So that's what you're looking forward to. So really what you're, what you're saying is for whatever reason, for whatever constellation of reasons, because it's not one reason, it's a variety of things, you're at a point where you know, it's great. It's great. You've got the joy and a certain intensity and there's certain physical manifestations there. But you seem to be a little bit stuck. 
and we should probably talk and see what what we can do to help you get unstuck. But basically, it's just if you just keep getting there and keep doing that, you're going to move forward. It, it's it's going to happen. Yeah. You've kind of gone twice around, and now I'm confused. There was a a moment before you handled Brian's question where it sounded like equanimity would come and as it came the duality of, of good and bad would be, be kind of viewed in a, in a new way and would kind of slip away um, and then after handling Brian's question it sounded like well okay I'll, I'll put it on the calendar for a couple years from now um, that that it sounds like equanimity is a much more advanced maneuver than just sitting. Yeah, equanimity is a much more advanced. I don't know if I call it a maneuver, but it's a much more advanced whatever. And there's different kind, there's kind of different kinds of equanimity, and there's different different degrees of equanimity. But the relationship to that duality is what I really wanted you to well, focus on. Okay, so what we're talking about, when you, when you come to the place of non-dual realization, which corresponds to realization of no self and, uh, and the other characteristics of the nature of suffering and uh, uh, the, the emptiness and, and impermanence of our perceived reality. Okay, that, that produces the ultimate and most profound form of equanimity. Before you get to that, there's the equanimity that comes from uh, more partial insights into no self and impermanence and emptiness and the causes of suffering. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the equanimity that comes from insight, uh, really it's, you have to understand Equanimity is a non-reactivity. Where do the reactions come from? Do you decide to react? Do you make reactions happen? No, they come from way down deep. And you don't have any control over them. So when you have equanimity, you have non-reactivity. Something has changed in you, so these reactions don't come up anymore. Now, as, as insight grows and develops, it produces an equanimity because the nature of insight is that you realize that clinging to things only causes suffering, that pursuing pleasure only causes suffering, that trying to avoid suffering only causes more suffering. And as this understanding penetrates deeper and deeper into your psyche, what you subjectively experience is, I don't have that stuff coming up as strongly and as often as before. That's the equanimity that's coming from insight. Is the equanimity that comes from from shamatha, from the from the joy and, and tranquility. The more happiness and joy that you have that's coming from within, that is totally independent of what anything of anything that's happening to you or that anybody is saying to you or or, or not saying or not doing or whatever. The more joy and happiness you have that comes with, from within, the less inclined you are 
to react to external things with desire and aversion and clinging and so forth. And so that's, it's the same, it's phenomenally the same equanimity. Um, and it, it will be present in greater and lesser degrees depending on how fully developed the joy and tranquility that you have internally are. Um, its cause is a little bit different. Its cause is that you've tapped into an internal source. The equanimity of insight is different from that. It's coming from the fact that, that um, you know, some parts of yourself have realized that you know when you grab the red hot poker, it's only going to hurt, and so it doesn't grab the red hot, red hot poker anymore. And the equanimity that comes from realization, which is really just sort of the ultimate and more profound uh, version of insight, it, it comes from this really deep understanding of not just that grabbing the poker is going to burn, but uh, a much more profound understanding of the real reality of what had previously appeared as you and hand and hot poker. Interesting. To talk about meditation, we have to talk about the Dharma and other senses. Always. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Is it at all surprising? And, you know, the idea that meditation could ever be separated from the Dharma is, you know. <laughs> yeah, it makes you want to laugh. Um, but we, we have these conversations, and we have, we have some people that don't have a lot of background, don't know a lot of these terms, not familiar with a lot of these concepts, and the eight this, and the five that, and the three other things. Uh, and then we have the people that are very well versed in these things, and studied, and thought about them, and so forth. So I think it's always good to talk about the Dharma when it comes up, and it's relevant. But it's inevitable that for some of you, it's like, what on earth are they talking about? You know, and uh, but I, I, I think it's good. It's good to hear it. It's good to it's good to know just how much more there is to this than you may have previously realized. Not just don't want to. Now it's not like how much more there is to this and said, oh, this is way way bigger and more complicated and it takes more time and energy. No, it's how much more there is to this in terms of the power and the profundity of it all. It's what meditation leads to is just it is totally unsurpassable. And if you come to meditation just looking for uh, more peace and happiness and mental clarity in your life, You'll definitely find that, but that's just barely scratching the surface of what it has to offer. Yes. I wonder if you could just, since we're talking, we've talked about emphasizing the positive. You know, I, I have 
years of reading and listening to people maybe in spirit rock type tradition where Jack Cornfield, that kind of thing, where there's this seems to be a heavy emphasis on opening up these unpleasant things and allowing them to be there and allowing them to unfold themselves and that and I wonder if you could just put that in context with with this, this emphasis on the positive. Well, it's yes, it's there. Um, I mean, when I talk about being mindfulness, being mindful in daily life, I'm talking about opening up to unpleasant things. You know, when you do or say something that has outrageous consequences, you don't tend to open up to that. You tend to close down, to block it out in various forms. Justification, rationalization, distracting yourself, hiding from it, you know, pretending it didn't happen, all these different things. They're the opposite of opening up. Alright, let's bring it into the context of meditation. So here I'm I'm talking about the, these these negative uh, thoughts and feelings you have in meditation, they're little tiny tips of great big iceberg. And there's not enough of them out of the water for it to be any be productive at all to try to go face to face with them or, or confront them. Instead, it makes much more sense to counteract them, uh, to keep them from interfering with your practice by counteracting them with uh, with positive. Now, when you get to the place, this is stage four in the ten stages. When you get to the place where you never really lose the your, your attention is so stable that you never really lose the meditation object. This stability of attention produces a calm in the mind. And this calmness allows things that would otherwise never surface to come up. And you also have much more mindfulness with which to approach these things. And so rather than having a uh, an isolated bit of the iceberg, a little bit of negative thought or negative reactivity to something coming up. In stage four, you'll have these things manifest in really powerful ways. Uh, if, uh, if fear is an issue you have to deal with, fear will, it will show up. You'll feel it really strongly. Uh, you may have fearful images. You may have fearful memories that come up. But you, in other words, at a certain stage in meditation, all the conditions are right for these things to come up. And when they do, that is the proper time to go face to face with them and be open to them and accept them. You know, what the, this is your demon arising. And your job is to, uh, is to pacify the demon. Um, through love and acceptance. And to do that, you have to be in a place where uh, you can be strong. You know, if, as, as long as the demon is stronger than you are and you have to run and hide, not going to work. But when you get to the place where, you know, you can say to the demon, okay, fine, let's, uh, let's talk, let's be with each other, let's uh, get to know each other. Tell me your problem, I can handle it. That's that's the opening up, and that's 
I'm, the only problem I find with the way this is all presented by uh, uh, Spirit Rock and Jack and these people is that in, the, uh, in that particular practice, it comes up in all kinds of unpredictable ways. And they don't have a particular structure in order to deal with it. And so it's only a skilled teacher that can tell the student that, okay, this is, this is the time for you to try to be with this thing. Or this is the time to, to uh, it's more appropriate for you to emphasize the positive or, or take a different approach to it. And I'm not even sure that all those teachers have that skill. So sometimes, sometimes they end up encouraging the student to uh, embrace the demon, and the result is the person leaves the retreat and goes on heavy medication or spends six weeks in a psychiatric hospital. And if possible, that's to be avoided. Actually, <laughs> we we have some of the woman that owns this house, Willoughby Britton, has become aware of. She's. Uh, yeah, I, a psychologist at Brown University and uh, studies uh, meditation and meditation phenomena. <coughs> and she has become aware of these of these problems. And it's interesting, you know, if you look up her talks on on uh, internet, she's got some on YouTube and things like that. You'll get to hear her tell you about the consequences of when people don't know how to properly approach these things. They don't know that they're there. Uh, nobody warned them that this might happen, and and then nobody really knows, and nobody really tells them how to deal with it effectively. So there's definitely a place for going for, it's that, well, I call it purification of mind. There's definitely a place for purification of mind. And the way to do it is that you, you let whatever it is that needs to be purified tell you when the time comes. So these things come up and you ignore them as long as you can ignore them. When they become so strong that you can't ignore them, and really what I'm talking about with these minor things that we went through this morning, that's all highly ignorable stuff. It's when you get to something that you can't ignore, that something is saying, Hey, you know, I'm ready. I've been hiding out in the depths all this time, but now I'm ready to come out in the open and get this thing worked out. And you've got to be able to respond at that point by saying, okay, I'm ready to work with you on this and see if we can't integrate you back into the whole of the rest of us so that you're not a problem anymore. That's the approach you're taking. So you ignore it until... It has. It keeps hammering away with this insistence on the door. It says, "No, no, I'm ready. It's time to deal with me. It's time to deal with me." And then the most important thing when it comes up, it, it's always emotional charge, and that's that you don't get overwhelmed by the emotion. So what you do is you let it come up. You make it the object of, uh, you know, you allow it to become the object of your attention, but you say, first, I've got to deal with how this feels in my body." Because emotion is going to manifest in your body. When the emotion manifests in your body, you, you deal with it. You, you, you keep the mental part of the emotion at bay. Say, I'll get to you in a moment. I'll get to you when I'm ready. And you handle the bodily part of it. And you explore the 
the, the tightness in your throat or the burning in your chest or the crushing pressure on your head or whatever it is. And when you get to the place where you can say, okay, this is what it is. I can deal with it. I could feel these feelings all day. It's not going to hurt me. Not much fun. But, you know, then you're ready to move on to the emotional part of it. So that's how you approach it. Can I just ask one clarification? I, I think what you're saying is the general kind of low-level negativity that can be a habit in meditation, like, I can't do this, yeah. but that kind of stuff, you just need to retrain, you know, gradually wear it out by keep turning away. Is, is that correct? That's right. You're not trying to push it away. You're just, you're ignoring it. You're letting it be there. Okay, you can be there. That's fine. But, you know, I'd like you to meet my friend, Happiness Over. <laughs> <laughs> and Chula Belsa, haven't you said before, if it's like your lower level and you can't handle this horrible stuff that comes up, it's okay to go out and get counseling? Well, yeah, that's, that's the other thing, too, is... You know, if it comes up and it's too much for you to handle, uh, you're, you're definitely not under any obligation. You know, if uh, you know, that's the thing. If uh, if you try to deal with it by going to the to the physical, the bodily first, while holding the emotional intensity at bay, if you can't do that, if it overwhelms you, then you know you got to be smart enough to say, okay. Time to do something different, and that can take many forms. That can that can take mean. It can just mean taking a break. It can mean going and doing walking meditation for a while and then coming back and trying again. But you know, if, if the simple things are not enough, then uh, really what it tells if if something comes up in meditation and then when you leave the meditation, it it doesn't continue to bother you then you probably don't need to resort to counseling. But if this thing that has come up in meditation won't let go when you leave the meditation, if it keeps coming back and it keeps waking you up in the middle of the night, uh, yeah, seek counseling, for sure. <laughs> but I take a question over here first. Sorry. Um, going back to the meditation this morning and what people have said about negative, positive, neutral, um, then maybe I was confused on the meditation. Um, you know, you talk about, you started this morning with joy and happiness. And when I personally got to the meditation, I wasn't able to tap into it right away, or mm -hmm. I right. did. But there wasn't either an aspect of negativity either. There was mm -hmm. nothing coming to me saying, oh, this hurts, or I'm bothered mm -hmm. by this. It was just very neutral. Yeah. Um, is that okay, perhaps? That it was just sure. neutral. It, it's okay for it to be neutral if <clears throat> you know if you've if you've done something to try to elicit uh, a more positive feeling and you don't succeed. Neutral is still fine, okay. but uh, you know as you yourself said, you you could think about things that brought up positive feelings. You could well, that's what I have imagine noticed. yourself in a yeah. And That's when I start having problems with my meditation, trying to get those positive things that yeah. perhaps maybe they were not there today, you know? That, yeah. But it wasn't negative, it was just, yeah. I don't know, it was yeah. just there. Yeah. Um, when it became challenging was trying to bring those things up that were not there for me at that particular yeah. moment. When, when you're experiencing 
called flat affect, where there's nothing pleasant and there's nothing unpleasant. Flat affect is kind of an illusion. It means you're really experiencing negativity and you're repressing it. Mm -hmm. Right? And if that, so it helps to know that. It helps to know that. So, you know, you, you can accept if you, you've tried to arouse some, some joy and some happiness and some pleasure and it hasn't worked, then you, you can accept that. You say, okay, so there's some strong negativity there and it's, it's not coming out into the open. But you just keep on trying to find, you know, as I say, there is always something pleasant. And... Uh, Remember when I was comparing joy and sadness this morning, mm-hmm. right? So, if if there is a negative mental state present, it's going to take the pleasant and it's going to shift it down the spectrum so it comes across as neutral. Okay. Okay. Right. And so, if that's what's happening, then you can accept that that's happening, but you can keep still trying to shift the state. And you can shift the state by continuing to look for those things that actually are pleasant. Okay. Right? Uh, There's always something pleasant, and you can tap into that pleasantness. But uh, once again, if you find yourself straining, you don't need to try so hard. Just ease off. Be patient. Even even negative mental states... uh, require energy and they begin to weaken. Even in the middle, even somebody who's in a rage calms down periodically, right? <laughs> yeah. And so maybe that's, maybe that's part of remembering every, everything is impermanent and it's not working right now, that doesn't mean it won't. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Chivadasa, for really deepening the questions and calls uh, positive regard. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, again, I think your uh, the whole periphery, the the bigger, yeah. is it reaches that um, expression, positive regard, enormously. Yeah. Is it, it's not just one aspect of me regarding things positively. But it's opening up to something else, and there's um, the gratitude in in focusing for such an extended time this morning on breath was um, was an opening into that that was much appreciated. You know, it is lunchtime. But it is lunchtime. I, I'm, I'm aware of it. Well, lunchtime is relative. <laughs> it's only passed when everybody else has gone to have lunch. <laughs> okay, and I, I do think that we should wrap this up, but I can go ahead and somebody over here was wanting to like, the last two questions that I have lunch. I was thinking of two different experiences that I had with what you think of as something through emotions. And one time I was on a meditation retreat, and it seemed like the theme of this retreat was like everything that I was embarrassed of that I had ever done in my whole life. <laughs> I that it happened to me. And it just kept coming up, these memories, these feelings, whatever. And I sat with them, and after a few days, 
it moved on and then there was peaceableness. And I think it was actually useful to do that. Yeah. But then I've had other times where fear came up. And maybe the difference was I couldn't get equanimity with it or something. And yeah. it actually made it worse instead of better. Yeah. And then it might have been made more sense to do something else. So I'm just like personally trying to like figure that out. Okay. Yes, there are... There are uh, it, it, it's a whole topic that we can talk about at great length, but yes, you were doing a really valuable and useful purification, and my guess would be that as a result of that retreat, you probably don't get embarrassed nearly as easily as you used to. But yes, I, the, the thing is that you know, you, you can attempt a purification that's really coming not from a place of openness and acceptance of equanimity, but that's, you know, that where it's really coming from, if you were to dig deeply enough, is, is <clears throat> I want to destroy you and get rid of you, and so I'm going to pretend to have equanimity and get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> I think what happened was that the focus on the fear actually made it worse, because there wasn't the distance, you know? The yeah. focus just kind of built it, you know, rather than having that space to just observe it. I think that's what was happening, but I'm not sure. Right. And it, it just might not have been the time yet to deal with that. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, let's have, let's have lunch. <laughs>